Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. This is a, a recording. We're doing it on remote from my living room this time up. And uh, I want to thank you. It's uh, so great to get so much great positive response from you guys. Uh, we're up at 32,000 downloads. We're making some headway. And uh, I'm sorry. I want to apologize. It's been a couple of days since my last podcast. There's been a lot going on. Uh, all of it good. But it's also interesting times, to say the least. And, uh, you know, life gets busy. Things are coming back. We're crawling out of a, you know, a horrible pandemic for so many people, trying to make sense of it all. And here we are, you know, stuck in the middle of July. And I hope that you are doing okay, and I hope that you and your family are safe. Um, Not only from the ravages of a disease or a virus, but from the, uh, the unsettledness of the current times. So I got to discussing a couple of things. I do want to get to the reincarnation subject matter, and I may still do so. Um, a few, uh, The last email, I think I teased you with the fact that we, uh, we would like to do a little bit about reincarnation because, you know, the Arantia book has some things that it says about it, and it, it, it explains how cultures have adopted it over the years. And it's an answer to an email question that I received from a, a wonderful listener. I also got an email from another wonderful listener, uh, which I addressed, and I may share that with you as well, having to do with the Arantia book and some of the comments it makes regarding races and uh, using words like inferior and superior to describe different racial challenges that have emerged uh, among the Sangic race, which is, of course, the six colored races that inhabited this world, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And uh, so we can get to that, which I'd like to. Uh, It's a great email, and I'd like to share some of that with you because it does come up. I mean, these things come up on the, you know, one email that I received from someone said that it is hard to separate the politics and, and the cultural things that are going on and the challenges from the Arantia book. And so many times the Arantia book offers so much insight. Uh, and whereas we like to study the Arantia book from the idea of, you know, getting more spiritual and using the Arantia book to get us closer to God in comprehension, uh, and in that spirit of prayer and worship. But we also have to pay attention and be mindful to society and where we are as a society and the challenges that we are facing in this society. And among them is, of course, what we're dealing with with the pandemic. How does the Arantia book help us sort of get through the, 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 the unsettled waters? How do we navigate through our time here on the planet and what what is the relevance of the Arantia book you know I was talking to a good friend not long ago about this very subject there's relevance the the book is either relevant to the times or it's not it's just a periodical it's not just a, a, a history book the revelators wanted us to have information did they want us to have this information because they felt it would help us navigate or is it just a matter of we're just going to be frank with you and and just give it all to you and then it's up to you on how you want to apply it and interpret it maybe it's a little bit of both 
Maybe they anticipated because they've done this before. They've seen it before. You know, we're not the first evolutionary world to come along. They've seen the patterns in other evolutionary worlds. They can almost anticipate, even when they, in one of the papers describing, you know, life on another world, it, it sounds like they are almost on the same kind of trajectory or path that we've been on, maybe a little bit far, a little bit farther behind in some ways. You know, the government on a neighboring planet, you know, they've had a constitution for a couple of hundred years. They ended monarchs. They have an open society, very similar to the way that the United States exists today. So again, they're they're giving us information. They are specific. They say, we're giving you this information so that you can advance. We want you to advance. And so to that end, um, I want to talk to you about something now that is, uh, as I've, I don't know how I missed this, really. I mean, we're what, a hundred and something segments in? We've done 115 of these podcasts. We've rambled on about just about every aspect of the book. And one subject that I have not given you any time is Melchizedek. Machaventa Melchizedek. Do you know how wonderful Machaventa Melchizedek is to our world? Do you know how exciting it is to have this Melchizedek son so intertwined with our past and even our present and assuredly our history, boy, there's a lot to unpack, and we're going to get to it, I promise you. We're going to talk about paper 35, section 2, and a bunch of other stuff having to do with Majavinta and what you should be thinking about. I think I mentioned in the previous podcast that I was going to be writing a book, and I hope to have the book uh, published, you know, by the end of the year. And one of the reasons I'm writing this book, if I can find it, is because I think as as we progress into the future, people are going to be more and more curious about the Arantia book. And I wanted to point out that there were 22 real great reasons to be excited about the book. And um, I wrote out some things having to do with comparative history of the seraphic planetary government and how they've had an impact on our uh, life since religion began, really. Judeo-Christian religion is based on the doings and workings of the seraphic planetary government. What I mean to say is they have had a hand in our intellectual and spiritual development all this time. You know, you could argue that the Bible, the Holy Bible, comes from the spirit agencies and celestial forces that conspired to reveal truth to mankind as far back as 15, 20,000 years ago. Some of it has survived in garbled form. Some of it has not. Some of it has... Think, for example, that the preparation was made for Jesus. You know, we have all of these prophets... Let me see if I can do this. And think of that, where did that start? What what was it that inspired people to accept a prince of peace that would come? Uh, what kind of uh, 
inspiration was inspired to early humans when we talk about things like, for example, from Psalms 47.2. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. <clears throat> These were the beginnings of monotheism, which was introduced to Abraham by Melchizedek. And who was Melchizedek? Well, the Most High's rule in the kingdoms of men through many celestial forces and agencies, but chiefly through the ministry of seraphim. So seraphic overseers, our celestial ministers, are under the direction of a person who has a hand in our early religious development. And that person is Machaventa Melchizedek. He is known as the Sage of Salem, the teacher and mentor to Abraham, who would go on to found the Hebrew faith, and who also influenced many of the great religions of those times that sprung subsequent to the birth of Christ, 2,000 years before Christ. Now, the Urantia book discloses in paper 114, in the third section of the papers, of the emergency son that came to Salem. Then he founded a school of religion based on monotheism, which was an advancement in religious evolution. So from the Old Testament, it reads, And the Melchizedek king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So there you have a biblical reference to our seraphic planetary government. What is our seraphic planetary government? Celestial ministers, seraphic overseers. Melchizedek is in charge of our seraphic planetary government, and I'll explain that in a little while. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, professor of heaven and earth, from Genesis 18 and 19. The Arantia book provides additional narrative on the Melchizedek mission, why he came when he did. Remember, Melchizedek was not of this earth. He was soon known throughout Palestine as the priest of Elion, the Most High, and as the sage of Salem. Among some of the surrounding tribes, he was often referred to as the Sheik, or the King of Salem. Salem was the site which, after the disappearance of Melchizedek, became the city of Jebus, subsequently being called Jerusalem. Melchizedek taught his followers all they had capacity to receive and assimilate, even many modern religious ideas about heaven and earth, of man, God, and angels, are not far removed from these teachings of Melchizedek. But this great teacher subordinated everything to the doctrine of one God, a universe deity, a heavenly creator, a divine father. Emphasis was placed upon this teaching for the purpose of appealing to man's adoration and of preparing the way for the subsequent appearance of Michael as the son of this same universal father which, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. Melchizedek taught that at some future time, another son of God would come in the flesh as he had come, but that he would be born of a woman. And that is why numerous later teachers held that Jesus was a priest or minister forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
That comes from paper uh, 93 in the Arantia book. So see, the, substi- the, the substantiation of there being a seraphic planetary government sounds kind of a advanced way of saying that these are just merely angels and celestial overseers who are here to help us. And so this is, uh, again, part of the point that I make in my upcoming book about a revelation, a big reveal. So the big reveal about Melchizedek, he was an emergency son because he was sent here to preserve the light. Mankind was drifting in spiritual darkness. He didn't even have a clear understanding of deity. He had many gods. He was pantheistic. He worshipped nature. He worshipped rocks. He did all kinds of weird sacrificial things in his attempts to appease the gods. And this is how it was for hundreds of thousands of years. And it was getting to the point where it's it's like Melchizedek, um, who was part of a receivership, which I'll get to in just a minute. You know, Melchizedek's are the eldest son in a in a universal family. They are our elders and they serve at the request. They are actually the creation of the uh, Creator Son and the Divine Mother Spirit, the third person of deity, the daughter of the infinite spirit. So these Melchizedek's are self-ruling. They're self-governing. They're of the highest order. They're almost second to Gabriel. Gabriel is more of an administrative director who, who sort of sort of the operations officer. So I'm going to read to you what Melchizedek's do, and then we'll get into just a little bit of what this means for us, because this is important. A Melchizedek is going to come back to this world. We, we could even argue, just based on a lot of these statements that are in the book, that a Melchizedek, Machavinta Melchizedek specifically, will appear on our world at some point. And he may be accompanied by offspring of Adam and Eve. That sounds crazy, right? We could, according to some I've talked to in the Arantia book, believe that this time is, you know, and most people in the Arantia book, including myself, don't put too much emphasis on prophecy or trying to figure out when God's going to send his next message. Because we know from the teachings in the Arantia book that those things don't really matter. You know, whether we go there or they come here is irrelevant. The important thing is to always be concentrating on that one core goal in human life, which is to have as much of an understanding about God as you possibly can and serving your fellow man. That's it. It's a a two-part assignment. So the Melchizedek's are the first order. This is from paper 35, section 2. And it describes what Melchizedek's sons do. A very high order of sonship just below Christ himself. The Melchizedek's are the first order of divine sons to approach sufficiently near the lower creature life to be able to functionally direct, to function directly in the ministry of mortal uplift. To serve the evolutionary races without the necessity of incarnation. These sons are naturally at the midpoint of the great personality descent, by origin being just 
about midway between the highest divinity, which would be the Son of God, Christ, our Lord, and the lowest creature life of will endowment, and that would be us. They thus become the natural intermediaries between the higher and divine levels of living existence and the lower, even the material forms of life on the evolutionary worlds. The seraphic orders, the angels, delight to work with the Melchizedeks. In fact, all forms of intelligent life find in these sons understanding friends, sympathetic teachers, and wise counselors. Now, one of the things that that we will be doing frequently in our post-Earth life is learning from these. These are the great professors. These, in fact, I'm, I'm laughing, but you're going to enjoy this. These are the Jedi of the universe. These are the Jedi masters. Their description is just like the Jedi's. They are, they are of a of a discipline and a character that gives them this unique ability to self-govern and to take on these assignments where they go and they try to get societies back on the right track. Like, for example, the Sage of Salem did with us, 1900 BC, in in with Abraham. I mean, that Jedi Knight was so impactful that he made it on the pages of history. Do a Wikipedia on Melchizedek sometime. And you'll see just how much he has influenced every major religion on the planet. He's all over the Book of Mormon. He's in the Bible. He's in Islam. He's in all these, you know, he's not a celebrity. He's not as well known as, say, Gabriel or Uriel or some of these others. But he was also very instrumental in, in seizing, receiving this world from the clutches of of the uh, the rebellion, Lucifer and the rebellion. This Melchizedek, this Machavinta dude, he's a big dude. Let me just continue on. The Melchizedek's are a self-governing order. With this unique group, we encounter the first attempt at self-determination on the part of local universe beings and observe the highest type of true self-government. That's why the Urantia book is a big proponent of liberty, because it knows a, a truly progressive society can have liberty and not destroy itself. But that's the best way, because we have free will. And liberty provides the human being the best opportunity for asserting good choice-making. Those are my words. These sons organize their own machinery for their group and home planet administration, as well as that for the six associated spheres and their tributary worlds. They actually have Melchizedek worlds in, in uh, our system capital. Or our universe, really. These are Melchizedek worlds of training. And it should be recorded they have never abused their prerogatives. Not once throughout all the super-universe of Orvington have these Melchizedek sons ever betrayed their trust. They are the hope of every universe group which aspires to self-government. They are the pattern and the teachers of self-government and to all the spheres of Nebadon. All orders, and for those who don't know Nebadon, Nebadon is basically the name of our universe. Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the 
Christ of Nebadon. He is the master son of God. This is his domain. All orders of intelligent beings, superiors from above and subordinates from below, are wholehearted in their praise of the government of the Melchizedeks. The Melchizedek order of sonship occupies the position and assumes the responsibility of the eldest son in a large family. Most of their work is regular and somewhat routine, but much of it is voluntary and altogether self-imposed. A majority of the special assemblies, which from time to time convene on Salvington, are called on motion of Melchizedek's. On their own initiative, these sons patrol their native universes. They maintain an autonomous organization devoted to universe intelligence, making periodical reports to the Creator's Son, Christ Michael, independent of all information coming up to universe headquarters through the regular agencies concerned with the routine administration of the realm. They are by nature unprejudiced observers. They have the full confidence of all classes of intelligent beings. The Melchizedek's function as mobile and advisor review courts of the realms. These universe sons go in small groups to the worlds to serve as advisory commissions, to take depositions, to receive uh, suggestions, and to act as counselors, thus helping to compose the major difficulties and settle the serious differences which arise from time to time in the affairs of the evolutionary domains. So just inserting here, remember, this is descriptive of the Melchizedek that came to our world and founded monotheism. And I want to get to a little bit more down here at the bottom. When a creator's son enters the bestowal world on an evolutionary planet like ours, he, he goes alone. So they're describing Christ. But one, when one of his paradise brothers, an Avonal son, which we will have come to our world at some future point, he is always accompanied by the Melchizedek supporters, 12 in number. So they will come one day, perhaps in the accompaniment of an Avonal son. But our Machaventa is a little different. Machaventa Melchizedek is uh, not only just a receiver, but he is also one of the four and twenty elders, and he is the vesigerant planetary prince. So he holds three titles in our life. He is someone who has been a part of our history for well over 4,000 years, even as far back as the days of Adam and Eve. It is said and it is conjectured by people within or the, the revelation, the revelatory commission or the, the revelators who wrote this book. They are suggesting that it is likely that Melchizedek may come in the company of the children of Adam and Eve who departed this world after the default when given the choice to leave or to stay. So there's a scenario that's getting people excited in the Urantia community, which 
is increasing because people are starting to realize that it is very likely in the next few generations we could see a Melchizedek. And it most likely would be Machavinta. And he would come with an army of, of children of Adam and Eve, and he would set this record straight. He would set the record straight on our existence, and we, he would usher in a new age, the post-bestowal age. We are already in the post-bestowal age because of Christ, but on an individual level, Christ came and showed us the way to the Father as individuals. Melchizedek would come and try to get us back on track towards more spiritual path. So that could be very exciting. And it's likely at some future point that Melchizedek, Machavinta Melchizedek, may return. So here's a little bit more from paper 93 that talks about Machavinta and his present state. And this will give you greater insight into who he is and his contribution and his continued influence. Machavinta Melchizedek continued to take a great interest in the affairs of, a de of the descendants of those men who had believed in his teachings when he was in the flesh. But the progeny of Abraham through Isaac, as intermarried with the Kenites, were the only line which long continued to nourish any clear concept of the Salem teachings. Moses was a Kenite. Moses taught us the Ten Commandments, the seven original commandments that were taught to mankind, or at least retaught to mankind, came through Machavinta. This same Melchizedek continued to collaborate throughout the 19 succeeding centuries with the many prophets and seers, thus endeavoring to keep alive the truths of Salem until the fullness of the time for Michael's appearance on earth. Machavinta continued as a planetary receiver. A receiver is someone who sort of takes over until a permanent uh, host, in business terms, a receivership is when property is in dispute or a business is in dispute. And so the court appoints a receiver, someone to sort of take care of the property until the final owners can be determined. So Machavinta, in this case, is a receiver. He was attached to the Urantia service on Jerusalem as one of the four and twenty directors or elders as they're referred to in the Bible. And having been elevated to the position of personal ambassador on Jerusalem of the Creator's Son, bearing the title Visigerant Planetary Prince of Urantia. It is our belief that as long as Urantia remains an inhabited planet, and we can hope that can be a very long time, Machaventa Melchizedek will not be re fully returned to the duties of his order of sonship, but will remain, speaking in terms of time, forever a planetary minister representing Jesus Christ, Christ Michael. As was his, as his was an emergency bestowal on Urantia, it does not appear from the records what Machaventa's future may be. It may develop that the Melchizedek Corps of Nebadon has sustained the permanent loss of one of their number. Recent rulings handed down from the Most High's Evidentia and later confirmed by the Ancients of Days 
strongly suggests that this bestowal Melchizedek is destined to take the place of the fallen planetary prince of our world, Calagastia. If our conjectures in this respect are correct, it is altogether possible that Machavinta Melchizedek may again appear in person on Urantia and in some modified manner resume the role of the dethroned planetary prince or else appear on earth to function as vicigerant planetary prince representing Christ who now actually holds the title of Prince of Urantia. While it is far from clear to us as to what Machavinta's destiny may be, nevertheless, events which so which have so recently taken place strongly suggest that the foregoing conjectures are probably not far from the truth. We well understand how, by his trump, triumph on Urantia, Michael, Jesus, became the successor of both Caligastia and Adam, how he became the planetary prince, the prince of peace, and the second Adam. And now we behold the conferring upon this Melchizedek of the title Vesigeran Planetary Prince of Urantia. Will he also be constituted Vesigeran Material Son of Urantia? And by the way, if that happens, it means that, guess what, we can see him. Or is there a possibility that an unexpected and unprecedented event is to take place? The sometime return to the planet of Adam and Eve, or certain of their progeny, as representatives of Michael Christ, with the titles Vesigerans of the Second Adam of Urantia. It is altogether possible that in some future age, when Urantia is approaching or approaching the era of light and life, after the affairs of the Lucifer Rebellion have been adjudicated, we may witness the presence on our world, simultaneously that of Machavinta, Adam and Eve, Christ Michael, as well as either a magisterial or even Trinity teacher son. Isn't that absolutely amazing? So there you have it. I wanted to share that with you a little bit on Machavinta. I encourage you to read more on him and his contribution to our life. And uh, we welcome him any day or any hour. Thanks again. Always remember, you can reach out to us on urantraradio.net. It's a way for you to find out what's going on in the Urantia community, plus news and information, a few articles from time to time, and, of course, a great way to listen to these podcasts. Share them, if you will, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless, and thank you for joining me on the Urantia Radio Podcast.